Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray podcast where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me uh, outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and where we strive to do our best to become better disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope you're all having a wonderful day today. Um, today we're going to be jumping into Corinthians chapter 15. Um, just moving along down the, down the trail here. Uh, so before we jump in though, as always, we're going to start off with a with a word of prayer. I'll go ahead and say that. Lord dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful day that Thou hast given unto us. We thank Thee for the chance that we have to study Thy Word and come closer to Thee. Father, we ask Thee to please help us to please help us to come closer to Thee and please forgive us of our sins. Help us in this time that we will have thy spirit with us, that we might be able to study and understand thy word more fully. We pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're going to be in chapter 15 today. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in right at the beginning, and we will see where we go. So, verse chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you that the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I, I delivered unto you of first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All right, so if we jump over to the New Testament manual, it has uh, a section on uh, how Christ rose according to the scriptures. It says, we do not know which specific scriptures Paul had in mind when he stated that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. However, he elsewhere quoted from Deuteronomy 21-23 as he taught about the crucifixion. And he uses and he used phrases found in Isaiah 25-8 and Hosea 8-13 and excuse me, and Hosea 13, 14, as he taught about the resurrection. Paul's statement that Jesus, that Jesus' resurrection on the third day was also according to the scriptures may allude to Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 2, and Jonah 1, 17. Another prophecy of the redeeming mission of Jesus Christ, recognized by the early saints, was Isaiah 53. Um, and then, it, it suggests that if you want to know more, you can go to the topical guide and you can find um, entire prophecies about Jesus Christ or types of Christ in anticipation of Christ um, in, in, the New Test, in the New Testament uh, or just in the topical guide at all. But so we can see that there's, there is, there, there's no dearth of scriptures for sure that Paul could have pulled from in in, in preaching about the coming of Christ and, and in preaching about Christ's taking on our sins. All right, so jumping back to the New Testament manual in verse 6. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto his this present, but some are fallen asleep. After, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and that I am not 
that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Starting back to the New Testament manual, um, talks about following the, the death of Christ, Jesus Christ, and before the gospel narratives were written, the followers of Christ gathered to share stories and discuss what Jesus had taught and done during his earthly ministry. Sharing these oral accounts helped disciples remember the words and deeds of Jesus, and these accounts would have been retold often before eventually being recorded and preserved. Paul may have been referring to such information when he wrote to the Corinthian saints, I delivered unto you that which I also received, which illustrates his effort to transmit and preserve the gospel knowledge he had acquired. Paul's brief summary of the things he had received and delivered includes the doctrines that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, and that he was seen by many eyewitnesses. The prophet Joseph Smith similarly identified these teachings as being the core of the gospel. The fundamental, God, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven, and all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. So, that is kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit yesterday when we say that, you know, <clears throat> when we say that, um, mine's going blank. When we say that Christ should be our focal point, Christ should be, our eyes should be firmly fixed on the glory of God, because that is the whole point of the gospel. The gospel revolves around Christ himself and around all that he did for us. Um, the, the manual also has a section on the many witnesses of the resurrection. It says much of the first Corinth, much of first Corinth of one first Corinthians 15 is Paul's response to those in Corinth who said that there is no resurrection of the dead. Those who refuse to believe in the resurrection may have been influenced by the prevalent prevalent Greek philosophy that accepted the immortality of the spirit, but rejected the resurrection of the body to counter this false teaching. Paul lists, listed an impressive number of people who had witnessed and excuse me who um who had witnessed the resurrected the resurrected Jesus Christ the resurrected savior's appearance to his half brother James is recorded only in 1 Corinthians 15:7 President Thomas S. Monson spoke about the power of both ancient and modern eyewitness testimonies of the risen Lord. He said, quote, Against the doubt in today's world concerning Christ's divinity, we seek a point of reference, an unimpeachable source, even a testimony of eyewitnesses. Stephen, from biblical times, doomed to the cruel death of a martyr, looked up to heaven and cried, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Who can help but be convinced by the stirring testimony of Paul to the Corinthians? He declared that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and said, Paul, last of all, 
and said, Paul, last of all, he was seen by me. In our dispensation, this in our dispensation, this same testimony was spoken boldly by the prophet Joseph Smith, as he and Sidney Rigdon testified. And now, after the many testimonies which we have which have been given of him, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. This is the knowledge that sustains. This is the truth that comforts. This is the assurance that guides those who are bowed down with grief, out of the shadows and into the light. And that comes from his April uh, conference talk, April 2007 conference talk titled, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. So that's really what we're kind of, what we're getting at here is the, the truth, the reality of, his, of Christ's divinity, not only his divinity, but his resurrection as well. So verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the den, dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead not rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ not be, be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet, ye are yet in your sins." Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So in the New Testament manual, jumping back to that, it says, The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the crowning event of the atonement, signaling the Savior's victory over death and sin. Therefore, to those in Corinth who claimed that there was no resurrection of the dead, Paul responded by explaining that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, there could be no forgiveness of sin and no hope for eternal life. President Howard W. Hunter spoke of the profound significance of the resurrection. He said, quote, even with the logic of nature's regeneration, even with the testimony of that empty garden tomb, there are still those who feel the grave is a final destination. But the, but the doctrine of the resurrection is the single most fundamental and crucial doctrine in the Christian religion. And that comes from his April 1986 conference talk titled An Apostle's Witness of the Resurrection. The manual continues and says, Paul also taught that if there were no resurrection, then we of all men, then we are of all men most miserable. On the other hand, when we understand the reality of the resurrection, we find greater joy, perspective, and purpose, as President Dallin H. Oaks taught at the First Presidency, when he said, quote, when we understand the vital position of the resurrection in the plan of redemption that governs our eternal journey, we see why the the Apostle Paul taught, if there be no, no resurrection of the dead, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. We also see why the Apostle Peter referred to the fact that God the Father, in his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The lively hope 
we are given by the resurrection is our conviction that death is not the conclusion of our identity, but merely a necessary step in the destined transition from mortality to immortality. This hope changes the whole perspective of mortal life. The assurance of resurrection and immortality excuse me, affects how we look on the physical challenges of mortality, how we live our mortal lives, and how we relate to those around us. The assurance of resurrection gives us the strength and perspective to endure the mortal challenges faced by each of us and by those we love. Such things as the physical, mental, or emotional deficiencies we bring with us at birth or acquire during mortal life. Because of the resurrection, we know that these mortal deficiencies are only temporary. The assurance of the resurrection also gives us a powerful incentive to keep the commandments of God during our mortal lives. And that comes from um, his talk titled, Re- titled Resurrection, comes from the April 2000, April 2000 General Conference. So that really is something that we we should keep in mind, and rem- and we should try and keep at the forefront of our of our faith and our belief when we think about um, when we think about what our faith really does mean to us. Do we fully understand what it means to be resurrected? Is it something that perhaps like like um, like Alma's son, Alma the younger son, we fear? Because we fear what we might end up as. Because we're, we're told in Alma that in the resurrection that all things will be restored to their proper frame. But that doesn't mean that we will be restored from our sin if we have lived in our sins. If we are someone here in this life who enjoys sinning or enjoys these, these different things and is comfortable with where they are, we will be resurrected to that same state. We will be that same person. Resurrection doesn't necessarily change the spirit or the personality. It changes the state in which our body and spirit are in. And we we are told time and time again, this life is the time to prepare to meet God. Are we using it wisely? Are we preparing as we should be? Uh, Let's continue on with verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be be destroyed is death. Um, So there is quite a bit here on what we just read. Um, but I want, uh, let's, 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 I'm just going to read through it. Um, I want to jump to a certain section, but we should do things in order and read as we go. So the first little section on Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. The law of Moses dictated that when the yearly crop harvest began, each farmer was to dedicate his first sheaf of grain as an offering to the Lord in acknowledgement that he is the source of all blessings. Paul drew upon the, this, upon the image of the first of the first 
the first of the first fruits of thy land, as he described the resurrection, as he described the resurrected Savior as the first fruits of the dead. Just as farmers' first fruits were the earliest of many crops to be harvested, Jesus Christ was the first of all beings to be resurrected, thereby opening the way for all the inhabitants of the world to similarly be raised from the dead. Elder Joseph B. Worthland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles confirmed Paul's glorious teaching that everyone will be resurrected when he said, quote, When the Savior rose from the tomb, he did something no one had ever done. He did something no one else could do. He broke the, bond, the, the bonds of death, not only for himself, but for all who have ever lived, the just and the unjust. When Christ rose from the grave, becoming the first fruits of the resurrection, he made that gift available to all. And with that sublime act, he softened the devastating, consuming sorrow that gnaws at the souls of those who have lost precious loved ones. It continues on. It says, "We oh, sorry, that comes from that comes from uh, his October uh, 2006 general conference talk titled Sunday Will Come." Um, anyways, jumping on in the in the manual, it says, "We are all subjects to physical death because of the fall of Adam." Hopefully, we're all aware of that. Uh, nevertheless, through the atonement and resurrection of G Jesus Christ, we will all be made alive again. Elder Neil A. Maxwell of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught that the resurrection is a universal blessing granted to everyone on earth. The atonement, he says, quote, The atonement has, has accomplished bringing a universal resurrection to billions and billions, lifting all from the grave, regardless of how and when we got there. Therefore, on a clear night, though we see stars of incomprehensible longevity, we they are not immortal, but thankfully we are. That comes from his October uh, 20, 2002 conference talk titled Encircled in the Arms of Love. Um, Joseph, Joseph Fielding Smith taught that the universal nature of the resurrection is a, is a manifestation of God's justice, saying, quote, no person who has has lived and died on this earth, will be denied the resurrection. Reason teaches this, and it is a simple matter of justice. Adam alone was responsible for death, and therefore the Lord does not lay this to the charge of any other person. Justice demands that no person who was not responsible for death shall be held responsible for it. And therefore, as Paul declared, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And then the last section I want to get to today, before we close out for the day, says that Paul explained that the resurrection follows an established order or sequence. Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles summarized the sequence in which the resurrection occurs. He says, quote, Order in the resurrection is determined by obedience to gospel law. The most righteous man was first. The most wicked shall be last. Christ was first. The sons of perdition shall be last comes from the Doctrine of the Testament commentary. Uh, the manual continues and says, Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected. Immediately following his resurrect resurrection, there were righteous saints who rose from the grave. We find that in Matthew. Um, at the second coming, the resurrection will continue with the coming forth of other righteous saints who are Christ's at his coming. Through Latter-day Revelation, we learn that these people will inherit the celestial kingdom. Then will come the resurrection of those who will receive terrestrial glory. Uh, 
They will be followed at the end of the millennium by those who will inherit celestial glory. Finally, the resurrection will be concluded with the, with the raising of those who are filthy still, the sons of perdition, who will receive no degree of glory, but will return again to their own place to enjoy that which they are willing to receive, because they are not willing to enjoy that which they might have received. Brothers and sisters, that is the beauty of the gospel. We receive that which we are willing to receive, that which we are willing to work for, that which we are willing to strive for and become. That is the grace and the glory of God. He is willing to grant unto us whatsoever blessings we are willing to obtain according to his timetable and according to his manner. I testify that these things are true, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.